and welcome to the Beyond Your Research Degree podcast by the University of Exeter Doctoral College. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Your Research Degree. I'm really delighted to be back with you after our summer hiatus and to be bringing to you a conversation with Dr Ruth Gilligan. Ruth is a senior lecturer and academic but also because she's in creative writing she is a published author and so I thought it would be interesting for us to have a conversation with someone who is an academic but maintains a professional profile and creative practice alongside their academic work. So Ruth are you happy to introduce yourself? Certainly. Well, firstly, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, lovely to be chatting to you and reminiscing a little bit about my time at Exeter. Um, I came to Exeter um, in 2011 to start my PhD in creative writing. Um, And then I actually went straight from my PhD into my first academic job. Um, I first interview I went for um, a creative writing role had come up at the University of Birmingham so uh, despite the fact that I was still finishing off my PhD I was like ah sure I'll apply and see what happens and anyway I got offered a job so I started as as lecturer in creative writing um, at the University of Birmingham in kind of August 2014 at which point I was still in the final two or three months of my PhD so I was kind of trying to pretend that I was a lecturer and seem very grown up and important to my students despite the fact that I was secretly still a student myself and trying furiously to dot all the t's and cross all the i's on my thesis um so yeah it was a bit of a mad time um but yeah then I started out um at Birmingham and and seven nearly eight years later um I'm still there so I'm now a senior lecturer um uh, since that time I've also published two more novels and um, I had published three novels before my PhD at Exeter um, but I went on to publish two more, one of which was the novel that I wrote um, as part of my creative writing PhD. Um, and then my most recent book, The Butchers, came out last year. So, yes, I am now kind of fully fledged novelist, academic, creative writing lecturer um, and still very much in touch with Sam and Sinead, my two wonderful supervisors, um, and have very, very fond memories of working with them. There's a number of things I think I want to pick up on in there. And I, the first is something that comes up a surprising amount actually in talking to people for this podcast which is about kind of seeing an opportunity when you've not actually finished (laughs) the PhD and and going for it and getting it and then how you go about juggling working and finishing up could you talk a little bit about what that experience was like kind of managing the workload of working whilst also finishing the PhD Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, part of me looks back at that and thinks, you know, what did I eat for breakfast that morning that I had the kind of gumption to apply for a job, despite the fact that I hadn't even finished the PhD. In the spirit of full disclosure, the job was actually a senior lecturer role, um, which I definitely wasn't qualified for, but um, I applied and they ended up basically giving the senior lectureship to someone else who, who was duly qualified, but then creating a new lecture in creative writing role, which they offered to me. So I'm a big believer in nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, you know, if I hadn't applied and, and taken that punt, um, yeah, that wouldn't have, have played out that way. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a big believer in just throwing your hat in the ring and seeing what happens. Um, in terms of managing the workload, I mean, 
you know, realistically, I was at the tail end of the PhD. Like I'm not someone who had kind of left all the work to the last minute, like both Sam and Sinead, my supervisors, like they've been very good about, you know, making sure that I was making steady progress. And, you know, I'd already written multiple drafts of both the creative and the critical. So although those last few months are always going to be quite panicked and quite frantic just because, you know, you are about to submit this thing that you've been working on for three years. It wasn't like I still had kind of half the thing to write. Like I had, I had, you know, written multiple drafts and was just kind of finessing and going through my bibliography and all that kind of quite boring stuff. So yeah, it was a lot. Um, it also, you know, it coincided with me, like I moved to Birmingham um, when I first started the job. So I kind of was in a new city. My, my partner, who's not, you know, at the time he was my boyfriend. Now he's my husband. He at that same time actually moved to Singapore for six months. So I just kind of found myself living in this little flat in Birmingham on my own. I didn't really know anyone in the city. I was starting a new job. I was also finishing my PhD so yeah it probably wasn't the most like social time of my life um but you know fundamentally I managed to to get it all done and, and I'm delighted it, it played out the way it did you know my, my big fear the reason I I kind of pursued doing it that way even though it was a bit nuts was you know I think like so many people in academia the fear of like not knowing what the next step is going to be or the idea of kind of having a gap before you figure out the next thing you know I've plenty of friends and colleagues who've had that situation where there is a gap when they go from one thing to the other uh, but I know from my own personality type that I would have just been absolutely freaking out if I didn't have something lined up so I would rather kind of take on too much and there be perhaps a bit of overlap rather than being kind of out in the desert and not knowing so yeah it was worth it from that regard. I wanted to kind of take a step back step back to that point of applying now and I was really interested um when you said that it was kind of a it was a senior lecturer role but you kind of it, nothing ventured nothing gained kind of went for it and actually you may not have got that role but something else came out of it were there any particular challenges that you felt that you were coming up against because you were still a PhD student yeah and it's a great it's a great question I think you know I should you know um again in the interest of full disclosure like I mentioned briefly but like despite the fact that I was still finishing my PhD I had published three novels before I did the book so I am I do appreciate that you know that might not be the case with all um PhD students so I, I kind of had the publishing track record um I think the, the big gap and and this is where kind of Sam and Sinead were particularly helpful was because it was my first academic application interview and ultimately post um just kind of plugging in a little bit to university speak. Like I didn't really know at that point, having only been a student, albeit a PhD student at that point, um, you know, I phrases like ref and outputs and impact and all these kind of buzzwords that that were going to come up in my interview and I and they were going to quiz me on. Um, so kind of swatting up a little bit on that vernacular. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, in those situations, I'm kind of like, what's the worst thing that could happen? I just think that, like, as you said, just getting your name in front of people and, and maybe they don't even shortlist you for that particular role, but they'll still, you know, lodge at the back of their minds. So next time they are looking for something or someone with, with your set of expertise, um, you're all, you know, they're going to have a prior prior knowledge of you or have already become Kind of be at the back of their minds um i do think like i read various things as well that i i do think there's something slightly gendered as well in terms of you know they, they've done various studies whereby women only apply for jobs where they have all of the 
required skills whereas men are much more likely you know if they've got half or even less they'll be they'll still go for it um so I think you know that I am always keen in life to kind of be challenging those kind of gender um stereotypes or whatever so yeah I just I just thought what what's the worst that can happen and I think you know very like I remember going for my undergraduate um interview and I remember like the last thing someone said to me going into that was like they don't expect you to be perfect and to know everything but just having that willingness to to learn and that potential if they can see that that's really all they want and I don't think it's totally dissimilar within a, a job capacity like with that academic role they could see that I'd never you know I'd done teaching and stuff at Exeter but I'd never worked full-time in an academic role before but they could see that you know I was able to as I said, swat up on that vernacular and familiarize myself with the, the kind of university landscape and I was gonna give it literally everything. So as long as they saw that, they knew that I was gonna be able to, to do the job. And, and as I said, seven years later, I'm still there. So, so they were right. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I think that's really important that and that, that point about, it's not about perfection, it's about potential. It's about willingness to learn and, and an open, to that and it got me thinking about what experiences you had when you were doing your PhD that you found were really beneficial in helping you kind of apply for and secure that first job were there particular things or was it just a kind of you know guidance and mentorship of your supervisors I mean as I mentioned I did so I did do quite a lot of teaching um I um and then also while I was at Exeter I did my um I think it was called the LTHE so the learning and teaching and higher education I did the kind of first still is still is beautiful yeah great so I remember doing that and it was one of those things where you go along and you don't really know what to expect and some of it was quite theoretical and some of it was quite abstract and some of it was quite practical and hands-on and inevitably you know when you're doing the breakout groups or the workshop sessions you get lumped with the loads of scientists who are like what creative writing isn't a real subject why are you going to try and teach that so you have to spend half your time defending it um but all that being said I did actually find it really really useful um and that was kind of my first induction into kind of really thinking about teaching and lecturing and what what it involves and what kind of teacher I might become um so I did actually find that really useful and then being able to put it into practice as I said with those sessions um I also taught at the um Edinburgh University run this this Scottish University's International Summer School thing um and it, it's just a four-week course but they get students from all over the world um and basically I was tasked with designing and then delivering a four-week creative writing course for these um these overseas students who kind of ranged from anything from kind of 18 to 25 um so that was like another great opportunity for me and this time I had complete autonomy to decide what what they were going to read what they were going to do how the whole thing was going to be structured so again that was slightly throwing me in at the deep end because I had had so much freedom but again it was a brilliant opportunity for me to kind of um flex my my teaching chops I think that's mixing multiple metaphors uh but yeah just to give it a go so then when I did finally start at Birmingham I you know I did actually have quite a lot of not a lot but like a good amount of teaching experience under my belt and could also say that I had been in a position whereby I'd had to kind of curate and design a course myself so that was all really really useful stuff yeah I was thinking that and that summer school opportunity actually that's that's 
where you you kind of have that additional experience where you go beyond teaching seminars or doing lectures and to actually thinking about designing and setting curriculum which of course is not something you necessarily get to get involved in when you're a PhD student but is a huge part of being being an academic yeah and I think I'm always kind of encouraging people to look look out for kind of opportunities like that I think you know within the creative writing world anyway there are various summer schools or workshop scenarios or one-off tasters or six-week courses or whatever so I think like anything getting anything like that under your belt I think is is hugely useful you know it, it's not necessarily a case that you just have to have loads and loads and loads of very specific undergraduate or postgraduate teaching um it's just any sort of um any sort of experience and especially as you said if there is some kind of design or management element attached to that then more so the better and was there anything particular in research terms that you did or was it just kind of the process of doing the PhD that really kind of stood you in good stead to then move on to an academic role um it's a good question I think you know the whole point of me doing the PhD because this is I've already alluded to like I had published three novels before before starting at Exeter but those novels were very much they were very commercial they were very much based on personal experience like they were kind of um all about kind of young people in Dublin growing up and doing stupid things and finding their way in the world. So very much based on my own life and my own encounters. Um, and I sort of, after the third one was published, I, I sort of realized that although I definitely did want to keep writing and publishing going forward, these weren't necessarily the kinds of books that I was interested in, 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 in pursuing. So I kind of took a break to figure out well, what kind of books do I want to do? And, you know, I, I realized the books I love to read were actually books that had nothing to do with my own personal experience you know there were novels set in different portions of history or engaging with different cultures or parts of the world or whatever where you know and where I kind of learned something when I was reading them so I was really interested in well could I write a book like that like could I write a book that would require me to go away and do a lot of research and interview a lot of people and really kind of expand my horizon and, and, and kind of write outside of my own first-hand experience so that was a real journey for me and that was what the PhD was kind of about you know so I, I was doing a lot of research in the very traditional sense like I did a lot of archival work I went you know the, the novel was based around the history of the Jewish community in Ireland so I traveled all over Ireland interviewing people I was down in, in Cork in some archives there I actually went to Israel to interview the Irish community that's now living out there so I really was doing that kind of you know library based or also field research kind of stuff that you might not necessarily associate with um with with creative writing um and then of course I had folders and folders and folders of notes and I was like okay how on earth do I translate this into a novel so a lot of my PhD was then trying to marry you know this kind of factual research that I'd acquired with a story and characters and and craft and all those kinds of things so so figuring out all of that was was a, a real <laughs> took a long time and that's why I needed the three years of a PhD um also you know as I mentioned the, the novel was about the Jewish community in Ireland um I'm not Jewish myself so I was very aware when I was working on this project of my own kind of positionality and and whether you know was it okay that I was writing this novel how ethically what were the challenges formally practically all this kind of stuff and then you know as I mentioned right at the start the critical 
part of my PhD was then looking at other Irish authors who have similarly written about minority communities or groups that they're not necessarily a member of themselves and kind of the way that they have navigated that potentially kind of tricky um, territory. So, you know, that academic thinking and looking at other authors then very much informed my own practice. So again, that kind of circular process of research and reflection and then writing, um, just figuring out how that all works. And then, you know, it was lovely that after the PhD, you know, I went on to publish the novel, but I also went on to publish the critical portion as an academic article in a journal. So even at that point, I was I was still thinking of my research as both creative and critical. And I, I know that when I went to the interview at Birmingham, like that was something they were really keen on, that I was someone who was doing both these kinds of research side by side and saw them very much in conversation and informing each other um, and was going to kind of generate different types of output. So that really helped me kind of figure out what kind of academic I wanted to be. I didn't necessarily want to be just an English academic or just a creative writing academic. I kind of wanted to be both. I think that's really important and acknowledging the kind of the identity side of things even if you're not kind of a creative practitioner or doing kind of practice-based works about about thinking about your identity you know increasingly PhDs are interdisciplinary and so then there's a question about well where do you sit in terms of discipline and department and and those aspects of identity as well it's something that a lot of people are grappling with in lots of different ways when they're looking at moving into an academic post. Um, I wondered if you could say a little bit more about the job application and the interview and what, what it practically involves. So did you have to submit a CV, a cover letter, um, a supporting statement? Like what, do you remember what actually you had to, had to do as part of the process? Yeah, so I definitely remember, you know, all the things you've mentioned in terms of a CV, a personal statement, a kind of, um, you know, various samples of my work, etc. Um, the main thing I remember is the day itself, there were kind of two parts to it. And the first was a presentation. So I had to give a presentation in, but there were about 20 people there. I remember being slightly overwhelmed by how many people were in the room. Um, and I get, you know, I basically gave a presentation on sort of what I've just spoken about in terms of the kind of creative and critical aspects of my research and how those two things, um, are in conversation and how I might be able to envisage them developing going forward. Um, so that was in the morning. And then they made us have lunch with all the other candidates, which seems like one of the cruelest things anyone's ever done is to make you have lunch with people that you're competing with for the same role. So I think they've actually discontinued oh, that tradition because that seems- That horrendous. is horrid. It was awful. Um, <laughs> um, and then in the afternoon, then I had um, an interview with about eight people. Like it was, again, quite overwhelming. Yeah, some from creative writing, some from English, some from the wider college. And then I think they have to have a couple of people from completely different parts of the university, just almost as kind of a neutral party. So there was like a guy there from geography and there was someone else there. So, yeah, it was a real mix. Um, and they asked me like a really wide range of questions. I mean, I think, you know, I remember one woman, her main job was to make me list out like what were going to be my four outputs over the next few years. Like, again, um, just the university's thinking in ref terms and always wanting to know what items of research you're going to actively produce. Um, so I sort of had 
to come up with the list, promise some things that, you know, I did actually end up delivering, but I was kind of put on the spot a little bit with that one. Um, they wanted to talk a little bit about impact. As I said, that's another, um, when I was interviewing back in 2014, you know, um, that was kind of a buzzword that was just starting to emerge and it's now consumed my life for the last few years. I'm actually now impact lead for our school. So oh, I wow talking and thinking about impact um but back then I was just a PhD student who had learned a new word recently so I had to kind of reel off some ideas I had pertaining to that um so yeah it was a bit it was it was all you know friendly but marginally intense um and then I went away thinking well you know I've given it a shot that's fine um and then they actually uh, the head of college actually emailed me that night um to basically to say yeah we're not you know obviously you're far too young and junior to get the senior lecture role that we had originally advertised but we're actually going to create this new role for you and and would you like us so that happened within a matter of hours um which was wow, kind of remarkable nice. really so yeah that was a good a good day's day trip to Birmingham all told <laughs> a lot of people's anxiety about job applications and the application process is about the unknown and what it involves and actually you know it involves some pretty standard things but at the same time that you know there's some things that you might be able to pair in terms of you know we are driven by outputs and impact and all of those buzzwords and so you know being able to talk about how you know what what your what your plan is for your research outputs what if you've got some publications that you'd like to you know adapt parts of your phd to become or um kind of ideas about you know spin-off projects from your work actually that sort of thinking about what might be possible in the future is quite helpful because it's likely to be asked about in that context because they want to know what you'll do when you're there yeah absolutely I mean I think I hadn't quite anticipated how much how far forward they would be looking because I thought I was coming in really well you know prepared with this idea that like well you know I'm writing a creative and critical um thing for my my PhD so you know hopefully going forward I'd like to publish both of those aspects so you know there's two outputs you know already lined up and almost ready to go um and they were like yeah okay cool and what about after that and I was like oh right um okay and I remember it's so funny I remember then just like racking racking my brains because obviously I was put on the spot and I did at the very very back of my mind have a tiny tiny germ of an idea for the next novel um and all I had you know I really had very little except that I knew I wanted it to be called The Butchers so I remember saying that and I was like oh and then my next book's gonna be called The Butchers and it's gonna be set in rural Ireland and I, I, I made it up I did, honestly didn't know I hadn't even applied my brain to thinking about it yet because I was still finishing the previous one and I remember during that really quite awkward lunch with the other candidates two of uh, my now colleagues came up to me separately in the lunch and their main comment was wow the butchers is such a good title for a novel I can't wait to read it and I was laughing to myself because I was like this is literally something I've kind of come up with on the spot like but they both said it to me um, and then when when Nine Folds um, which was my PhD novel did end up getting published and I was moving on to thinking about the next thing I was like huh maybe I should actually write that book called The Butchers. And sure enough, I spent the next four years researching and writing a novel called The Butchers, which came out last year. So what sort of was a bit of a blag on the day of my interview ultimately became reality. So there you go. And not only that, but won the Royal Society of Literature 
Ondachi Prize. I'm not even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, Ondachi, yeah, yeah, dude. Ondachi, yeah. Which is fabulous. Congratulations, Thank and you. you know, it's it's fascinating to to hear that that you know this you know prize winning book came from a kind of something that sat in the back of your head in a job interview and came out. Yeah, well, once it's I said it out loud, I felt I probably had to go away and do it. So I'm probably glad I did know, <laughs> since, as you said, it went on to to do quite well. So yeah, happy days. I always like to end on kind of a twofold note, which is in terms of <laughs> the reality of being an academic, so making that transition from being a PhD student to, to a lecturer, um, what do you wish that you knew or what advice do you wish you'd been given before you made that transition? That is a good question. I mean, I, <laughs> I think one thing I'm really at this point, like, you know, I haven't explicitly said it, but I am aware that like, it is quite unusual to go straight from your PhD to an academic job and not do a postdoc. So I know that like the majority of my um, colleagues, you know, that is the route they took. So I sort of skipped that stage, um, mostly because I, I think postdocs and creative writing just weren't really a thing at that point. Um, so it's just like a slightly different way the discipline works. I think just harking back to our earlier conversation, to be honest, I think the main thing I wish people had told me is a just just take a punt, just like if something comes up, like even if you know sometimes even now when we're advertising jobs or you see other institutions advertising jobs, it might say creative writing lecture brackets poetry focus and you're thinking to yourself oh rats I write short stories so I'm not going to be I'm not going to be um suitable for that just apply just apply you never know again they might not get any good poetry people they might see your application and think actually this person can slot in here and we can just move some stuff around and cover the poetry stuff some other way I just think literally as I said nothing ventured nothing gained um and then finally just to reiterate that like you know, when it comes to the application and the interview process, um, if it is a question of just kind of brushing up on your kind of university speak or, or trying to get your head around exactly what they're going to ask you, just talk to your supervisors or other lecturers who've been through this, because that was honestly, that was a game changer. For me. I can still remember the cafe in East London where I had lunch with Sinead, one of my supervisors, and she walked me through all these key terms and was able to predict all the questions they would ask me. And if it weren't for that brunch, like I would have been nowhere, but because she had so kindly prepped me and, and was able to anticipate exactly the kind of notes that I would need to hit, like I got the job. So I, I just think don't be afraid to kind of ask for advice from people who've been through it and who know exactly what, what buttons you're gonna to need to press. Thank you so much to Ruth for taking the time to talk to me. I thought there was so much in there um, um, in terms of advice about applying for academic jobs. It's really, really pertinent. And I've actually created an infographic to go alongside the podcast that, that captures some of that really, really fabulous insight. And that's it for this episode. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another researcher about their career beyond their research degree.